the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat, a.k.a. the Cover 3 tailgate, where there is some, uh, yeah, look, one of the biggest headlines we had, happy National Signing Day to you and yours and all who celebrate as the 2024 recruiting cycle is coming to an end here on this Wednesday, February the 7th. In the thumbnail, you know, we were going into National Signing Day. We will get to some of the biggest headlines from the day, you know, following up on our conversations from Monday in terms of storylines and and the way that we can, and I think this is interesting, look at the high school recruiting efforts, compare them to the transfer portal recruiting efforts, and see what we can learn about some of these programs and some of these coaching staffs. So what the biggest star that we were waiting on for the actual National Signing Day here in February was going to be five-star athlete Terry Bussey. Um, you know, he is a quick twitch guy. He's somebody who has track speed, plays basketball, plays baseball. Like, I, I didn't even know where he would necessarily fit, but you knew you wanted a piece. He's from Texas. He was committed to Texas A&M. He also got a late push from LSU, late push from Georgia, LSU in particular, really tuned in. You know, we had Brian Kelly on the thumbnail promoting this. And, you know, this is a, this is, this is an interesting comment. Let's see. Uh, JT says, thumbnail has BK looking like the mommy I threw up meme. And you know what? I'm sorry, LSU. Uh, I, I don't know if you, uh, there's anything for you to blame here. 
But Terry Bussey makes his announcement on Wednesday. He is sticking with Texas A&M. So we begin our National Signing Day uh, right there. But we, we discussed Terry Bussey a little bit on Monday. And, you know, Mike Elko probably gets to rely on the fact that he's gone head-to-head with big dogs. Like he's he was a defensive coordinator for Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, pulling in star-studded recruiting classes. Now, what did you make of everything that's happened in the last 24 to 48 hours and Bussy's uh, eventual commitment here on Wednesday to the Aggies? Yeah, so I mean, Bussy, one of the very best players in the state, a guy, you know, kind of a smaller school guy, but a, a big-time athlete, two-way ability. I, it's just an awesome get for Texas A&M, like to be able to hold on to that. If you're Mike Elko. It's not like you've won a lot of recruiting battles down the stretch. Uh, obviously, they, they lost Cam Coleman to Auburn, which I, I think was kind of expected for for quite some time. But but I'm very bullish on what Texas A&M has a chance to do under Mike Elko because there was a lot of physical athleticism and talent on the roster. Some of that has portaled out. Some of that has not. But, you know, Chip, if you look at this, getting a guy like Bussy, he's a dude – Maybe they need him to play two ways eventually. Who knows? Like he's not, <clears throat> excuse me, he's not huge, but the guy is a freak of an athlete. You know, can catch it, can run with it. I think he can cover, return kicks, return punts. Uh, just, just an, an, an all-around you know, athletic freak, of, a weapon. And I mean, there's not a lot of guys, you know, five ten, one eighty, that twenty four seven puts five stars on, <laughs> and he's got them because the athleticism really is is that level. So with the schedule they have, if Connor Wegman is what some AM people think he is, which is a, a, a high level, like a guy that's going to be a real pro prospect, they got a chance to really make some noise here in year one under Mike Elko. And maybe we start to see that thing snowball a little bit. You know, hey, maybe AM wins nine games in the SEC, which I, I guess if you win nine, you in theory could make the college ball playoff. Right, like that would be nuts, and then you could see them absolutely rocket ship when it comes to the recruiting class. But, but keeping Terry in the fold is really big. That that's that's a guy I know our our, our guys, our evaluators are really high on, and yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, smaller class for Texas A and M. Um, only sixteen commits uh, out of the high school ranks. That's number twenty two nationally. And for uh, you know, keep you mentioned keeping Terry Bussey. How important that's going to be. I mean, this is, let's see, 98, highest rated? Yeah, that's the highest rated uh, player in that class. If you had lost that, then it would have been something significant. We might have been coming back with uh, you know, some, some question marks, uh, especially in terms of the very high-end talent. Now let's start with the LSU side of things. LSU still sitting in the top 10 of the team rankings as we're sitting here at 11.08 a.m. Eastern Time on National Signing Day. Checking in at number seven, sizable class, 29 commits, one five-star, 19 four-stars for the group, an average player rating of 90.81. When you're looking at LSU's class, Brian Kelly has had a lot of staff turnover. You know, they did a lot of work back in December, um, but you know, you've got a change at offensive coordinator. Mike Denbrock is off to Notre Dame. You promote Joe Sloan. You know, you change up most of your defensive staff as well. You still are pretty happy. Like how, how much, if Bussy had flipped to LSU, would that have been just like more good on top of good? Or was it something that was almost needed for LSU to feel good about the cycle? I, I think from the, the perspective of high school recruiting, LSU has to be pretty damn fired up about things. I, I have you know, some level of skepticism about what they're doing in the transfer portal 
Which are those stars matter. from last year when they just took players they couldn't even play? Where you're just are you questioning their evaluation and and the the process there? I mean they they haven't taken much. So they they took CJ Daniels for, from Liberty, right? Who's I think a really good player. They did some work in the secondary. They, they got they got Gilbert. They got Jair Brown. They, they got Austin Osbury. I, I don't know how good those guys really are. So I, I think they need more, uh, probably more help on the defensive side of the football in the in the portal. Maybe they'll get that in the spring. We, we are expecting a bit of a a crazy spring portal, but and and probably crazier than last year because of the whole uh, the court ruling where everybody gets to transfer every single day if they want to. Basically, not true, but still unlimited within certain windows. But man, from high school perspective, LSU really is doing a great job. I mean, they are. With their ninth overall, what what is the SEC? It's got to be like like top five SEC. I, I think they're hitting a lot of their needs. They're hitting those needs with talent in the high school ranks. But yeah, if they, if they land if they land Terry. I mean, if you get Terry Bussey, you're probably gonna what? Would you jump Texas to six? I think. Try to do the math here. Like possibly. He would be the second five-star in the high school class. Dominic McKinley, somebody else who was part of um, this past. You know, is he going to, is he not going to? Like one of the few names that we had our eyes on. And then in, in recent weeks, we got McKinley reaffirming his commitment to LSU. The five, uh, the six, five, 280 pound defensive lineman uh, initially committed back in late December and then is staying on board. He checks in as the number five defensive lineman in the 2024 cycle. So that's your, your headliner in terms of the highest rated guy, but you, you know, whether you're talking about um, wide receivers, of course, you're going to go back and you're going to load up on them. You've got defensive players. It, it is a large sizable class. And, and that's why I was curious to see, you know, was it, was Bussy going to be something that made or broke it? It might, it sounds and correct me if I'm wrong, like LSU was already going to be sitting pretty one way or the other. This just would have been, you know, adding even more icing on top. McKinley, by the way, had an awesome week at at the Under Armour practices. I mean, he doesn't look like he's a guy who lifts a ton of weights, but then he just kind of has that kind of natural, like kind of linear power to to his game with, with, with the length that he has. It's pretty impressive, man. I I, I think Brian Kelly. This is kind of what sort of, of when when he left the Irish. Okay, you can recruit a little bit better at LSU than you can at Notre Dame. How much better? I, I, I wonder if he thought maybe a little bit better because Freeman's done a nice job recruiting to the Irish as well. Uh, so we, we should give him credit there. He's certainly doing a better job at LSU, I think, than he was with the Irish on the high school side. If you're an LSU fan, like, are you happy that you're behind Texas and Bama and Georgia? No, but you're also – those are the only other SEC schools that you're actually behind. So mm-hmm. that is somewhat you can sort of, I, I guess – live with considering you did not have a great season. I think they got quarterback, you know, kind of figured out with Nussmeyer and like they they've had a nice a nice run in high school. My thing is are are they on the right guys in the portal early enough? And I'm not really saying tampering, but like having a good feel but I am saying might, tampering. Who might jump in right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like who who might jump in, you know, who who might not jump in, what's that going to cost uh I don't know, because I, 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 I think if they get the defensive side right, they have a real window to win this year. Because mm. the offensive line is going to be awesome. I think I like Nussmeyer. Get some of these young guys to step up. 
what what's the wide receiver look like? I mean, it's CJ Daniels, like you mentioned from Liberty. Um, is it Lacey? Is Kyron Lacey still there? Yeah, Lacey's still there. Brian Thomas and neighbors are gone. Gone. Um, yeah. Brown transferred out to Florida State, which you could sort of read two ways. One from the LSU side, it's like, all right, it's a four-star guy you just signed, and now he's not there anymore. On the other side, wh- why is he transferring? Right? Does he see that there are other guys who are be- are better than him? If so, that probably speaks a lot to what your wide receiver room is. So, um, I-, I think their offense is going to be nails. Defense. You got to get a couple stops. Yeah, defense got to get right. Um, and again, the, you lose Mike Denbrock, but you promote Joe Sloan to offensive coordinator. So you are, you're, you're, you're keeping everything basically moving in the same direction. So everybody on that offense who is back should feel pretty confident, at least in terminology and overall install. It should make a lot of that go a little bit faster or easier this spring. Totally. And yes, in the chat, I completely understand that LSU won 10 games. Yeah, it is good considering their defense. If you talk to LSU fans, that's not their mentality. Their mentality is, we just had the Heisman winner, and we only won 10 games because our defense couldn't get any stops. Like, we lost to Ole Miss, and we lost to, what was the other game? Alabama. Right. All right. In Tuscaloosa, that that one's a little more understandable. No, no, well, the the point is we were down. We we were down to Texas A&M in a dogfight with them. We were in a dogfight with Missouri. We we were in a dogfight with, uh, who's it? Hell, Florida scored on us for about three quarters. You know, it, it. If you talk to LSU fans, they're not happy because they had a Heisman winner, and that in in their mind they kind of wasted it because they couldn't play a lick of defense. Well, yeah, I mean, we're just in a place where LSU's expectations, especially if you you tell LSU, hey, let's say um, we go back to the 2020 season. Uh, obviously, you know, COVID or whatever is is impacting everything, but you know, you it's a hangover. It was a it was a hangover season from one of the greatest college football teams in the modern era, totally. and you tell and you tell them that hey, at the end of twenty three, Saban's going to retire. What are your expectations? And any LSU fan would be like, well, then we're back in the national championship hunt. That like we if if Saban's out of here, there is no reason why we shouldn't be competing for titles. And so I I have no criticism for LSU to expect that of their program, but as uh, Bud mentioned sitting here in the 2024 cycle behind Georgia, behind Alabama, behind Texas. I've got a, a Georgia theory I want to run by you, but first, just any other late buzz from the you know the 24-7 desk or any other commitments we're watching or anything that's popped up here on this National Signing Day that we should keep our eyes on? Not much so far. Uh, I, I know Nebraska still has a chance to move up in the rankings, potentially, if they can add a, a couple late guys. I guess we'll monitor that. 24-7 sports will be live today from 1 to 4 Central. They're based out of Nashville, so 1 to 4 Central. Everybody make sure you check out that page, and they do a great job on their YouTube as well. But, I mean, we we told the audience, like, we weren't going to BS you all about stuff. If, if there's not a whole lot of stuff, we can kind of do more of the bigger you know, bigger picture recap thing, which I'm excited to do. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's just not, yeah. Uh, there's not a string of five stars that are going to ultimately, like, flip classes and have coaches punching through walls because they did or didn't land a commitment. I mean, it's just, it's, <laughs> sorry right. to sound old. It's not the Saturday that we grew up on, bud. It's not the, the Saturday that we cut our teeth on here in, in the college football space. It's just, it's, uh, it's it not the signing day, excuse me, but you know what I'm saying. All right. So for Georgia, I was uh, looking at their class and, you know, Bud mentioned on Monday, 
Yeah, they're they're going to finish number one. They're currently sitting at number one. That's the expectation. If they had gotten bussy, then wow, you know, and then they're just padding uh, the stats, so to speak. But top six rated players, according to twenty four seven Sports ratings, all on the defensive side of the ball. In the transfer portal, though, you go get uh, Trevor Etienne from Florida. You go get Colby Young from Miami. A little bit of a theory here. Do you think that, if not Georgia specifically, but there could be a mindset at the very, very top where the guys that you're bringing in that you want to develop on the defensive side because height, weight, speed, all those things, where offensively, especially if you were operating at that tippy-top level, you feel like, well, let's just see like how things go and then be able to dip into the portal and answer some questions there. Are you following me? Like it just, it was an interesting trend that I didn't see Georgia. I mean, they got great blue chip offensive linemen, blue chip running back. Like there, there are some things that you would expect, but when it comes to like the very best players of the number one class in the country, it it's all defense. And when they have those high profile offensive portal additions, I was like, that's an interesting game plan. And one that like, I think that I could rock with if I, if I was a head coach. And it, it it makes I don't know that it's it's necessarily a a trend, but it's probably I mean just because Georgia does such a good job with defense, it's probably harder to go find guys in the portal who can actually play on Georgia's defense. You know That's, what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I'm not saying Georgia, answer. Like I'm not saying Georgia doesn't do a good job on offense. If you look at a lot of the the sort of like pace adjusted stuff and opponent adjusted stuff, they they really do a great job. But it's. I think they really, really care about guys who come up in their system on defense. Mm-hmm. Think about some of the dudes who have left Georgia and gone elsewhere. They've had guys who couldn't start at Georgia go elsewhere and be first-round picks from the defensive side. I, I just think they they developed that side of the ball so well. And I mean, it, I don't know who in the portal this year really, really would have would have no doubt helped Georgia on the defensive side. Now, there's a safety who would have, but he went to Ohio State, Caleb Downs. Well, hey, Walter Nolan could have seen the field at Georgia. Yeah, agreed. I I, I think I think he would, but we don't know what some of those young guys are going to do coming up. You know, th- right. This year, interior defensive line for Georgia, I'm not going to say it was a weakness, but it was not a strength, especially not down the stretch. And, and like I think Bear Alexander, had he stayed, would have played at Georgia this year. And he didn't. He, he went to... You know, he went to USC. So, I yeah, man, I, it makes some sense. I think we, we're seeing in the portal, you can go get some high-level receivers oftentimes. Um, it's hard to find a lot of high-level offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. There's not a ton, with the exception of when a coach is fired, of high-level defensive linemen you can go get. Now, you can get guys who will be sometimes even drafted, right? Like, you know, Braden Fisk at Florida State was a guy from Western Michigan. You can find some dudes. You know, Carl Brooks, had he hit the portal last year, would have been. But obviously, you know, he stayed at Bowling Green and had that big-time breakout season. So it's it's interesting. I just don't know if we have enough data yet to draw, like, big sweeping conclusions. One of the things you could look at, though, is, okay, think about the team Georgia's facing to open the year. Clemson? Yeah. They still didn't do portal stuff. Oh, none. Right. Do they, like, Georgia took a very small portal class. 
I'm willing in my brain, maybe this is dumb, to say, okay, Georgia took a small portal class because they didn't lose that much off their roster and they feel very good about what they have coming back. Can we say the same thing about Clemson? I I put out my, my top five non-conference games to watch and I didn't have Clemson, Georgia on there, which, and like I said, hey, this is my opinion. You guys will probably differ and they did, right? I also didn't have FSU Notre Dame on there despite the fact I think it'll be a great game because it's not really an elimination game for either side in terms of like making the playoff, you know? Sure. But it's still a really, really fun game. I just, I had Tennessee NC State because both those teams feel like they're going to be really good this year. So I I like that one. But like, do you, are you excited? How excited are you for Georgia Clemson to open the year when Clemson didn't do anything in the portal? I, I'm sitting here like, really, Clemson? Like, you guys don't think you needed anybody? Because Georgia's got a hell of a lot better roster than you did, and they still thought they needed a couple. To be fair to Dabo Sweeney and his staff, they tried. Did bless, they? Yes, bless. Well, did they? Okay, excuse me. They went through the motions of recruiting offensive linemen from the transfer portal. They went, right? Yeah. I've got three of them. They just all chose other places. And when you're losing those linemen to other schools, I, I think your did they might might be a little bit more interesting. But they at least, on the way that I have uh, have picked things up, they at least expressed interest in trying to find answers along the offensive line from the transfer portal. They just didn't get any of them. And right. so, zero is the transfer portal input. But look, I, I don't know. The Clemson... By the way, sitting at number 11, just outside the top 10. Got two five-stars, 11 four-stars. They do a great job of recruiting out of high school. So I'm... They do. And their hit rate's super high, too. Like, even within the guys they sign, I mean, Clemson really does feel like like they... I think Clemson outperforms their recruiting ranking, even. Even that, because... Yeah, because they don't really take guys that have any kind of character. Very few... I shouldn't say any. They don't take a lot of knuckleheads. It's probably the best way to put that. Like Clemson guys, pretty rarely fail for off seasons or for for off field stuff. It happens. But like we were sitting there looking, and of course we all knew the name Peter Woods going into the season. But by the end of it, we're talking about T.J. Parker. We're talking about Khalil yeah. Barnes. Like we're talking about guys that played really, really well. All right, so you can argue uh, they're the favorite for the ACC. I just, if you're leading off with Georgia. That, that, to me, feels like, all right, we, let, I kind of needed to see y'all do something in the portal. All right, so um, the Alabama Crimson Tide, very interesting to me because we saw waves of players leave this program. Um, but, I mean, you can say Julian Sayin because he was an early enrollee, and, of course, you know he enrolls and he ends up transferring out to Ohio State. But especially with keeping five-star Ryan, wide receiver Ryan Williams in the fold, I if I am talking to an Alabama fan and they are asking my opinion, I would say that you have to be encouraged that Kalen DeBoer was able to keep this from being just like a, a total explosion of everybody in this class. Alabama you know, loses the greatest of all time to retirement. Kalen DeBoer, who doesn't have a ton of uh, – or any at all SEC experience from the recruiting side comes in and he is able to maintain with some defections, but not a lot and still finish as the number two class in the cycle. You know, how do you, how, 
I, I think we've got to give Kalen DeBoer like big thumbs up for his uh his first national signing day or the year zero national signing day as we've talked about before. Kalen DeBoer, Courtney Morgan, their director of personnel. I I agree, Chip. And I think if you're Kalen, the the pitch is kind of simple. Give us a spring. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you, you just got here. Does it really make sense to transfer after you've already gone to some classes for, for the semester? Just give us the spring. Now, Julian's saying. He did transfer, but they also took Ryan Mack, who is a pretty clear vote of confidence for Mack, who's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Is, who's Ryan? Because Ryan Williams. We're talking yes, about. Excuse me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they 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 took Mack, who's about the same age as Julian saying, right? But the rest of these guys, hey man, let's let's go ahead and give it a spring. If you don't like it, portal's always open, but give us a spring. At least, like, get your feet wet in college. We just played for the national title. Like, we're not some scrub coaching staff. I know that we didn't recruit a lot of y'all, but, you know, we recruited a couple of y'all because you're from the West Coast. And, or at least we knew who you were. I think DeBoer has tried to do a, a good job of, of you know, hiring a couple guys from the South, which helps, or at least dudes who have recruited you know, sort of in these circles. Alabama's class is notable for a, a couple things. One, the secondary is really, really good. Mbakwe is a freak of freaks as, as far as corners go. You got Zay Mency out, out of the state of Florida who just kept getting better and better and better. And then when you see him against other elite competition, he looks really good. Zabian Brown's a kid at, at a modern day. Um, I saw him play at the battle tournament last year, and I thought he was just – I think he was on premium. Whatever seven on team he's on. But it, like it, he just – like that guy looks – like he belongs. And then keeping Ryan Williams when Auburn was trying to build what they were calling the, the best receiver class of all time. They kept him away. Guy's an Auburn legacy. Bama's got head coach turnover. Bama's got no quarterback in the class. Well, they have Mac, but and you kept him. That's that says something. All right, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Williams have an Auburn visit scheduled for after his Alabama visit? And he, he shut got- it down. And he got to Tuscaloosa and I was on uh, CBS sports HQ yesterday uh, talking about this among other things. And I was like, I, I imagine that Kalen DeBoer welcomed him into the office, gave him a nice, you know, cushy chair. And then on the screen, Oh, here's Roma Dunze. Here's Jalen McMillan. Here's Jalen Polk. Oh, here's the offense that I run that creates all these opportunities and all this open space for you to yeah. be able to have an impact. Oh, oh, do you want to come to a place where there are going to be reps available and receptions available? Because we do that here. Ryan Williams is like, yep, sounds good. I'm all in. So uh, the other thing that came to mind was in this at the Sugar Bowl, and I think I might have talked about this around Kalen DeBoer's hire, but he only had two years with those guys that ran all the way to the national championship game. And a lot of those guys on the team were fifth and sixth year seniors, which means he did not recruit a lot of the Washington roster that he led to the national championship game. And they talked about Kalen DeBoer saying exactly what you just said, which is, he said, just give me a chance. Like just, just spend some time with us, see what we're about. And they had nothing but glowing reviews of what they saw from Kalen DeBoer as a coach, as a person, as a leader, as somebody that wanted to, um, you know, make them feel really good about being a part of the program. I, I think people, I think being good at people stuff translates. 
And if you're good at people stuff, then you're going to be able to do that too. So that's why I think for Kalen DeBoer, um, more evidence to that notion with the way he was able to hold this signing class together, finishing at number two in the country. All right. You want to um, you want to hit a break and then maybe take a few questions from the tailgate? Any like sure, yeah. some team specific questions? All right. If we've already got a couple in there, so if you've got any anything you want a uh, spotlight on here on, this, here on this national signing day, uh, let us know in the cover three tailgate. We'll take a couple questions. So coming up on the other side, more on national signing day. Plus a little bit later on the debut of billable hours next Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Super Bowl week is here. Stream wall-to-wall coverage with our CBS Sports HQ team of hosts, insiders, and analysts as they tackle the biggest storylines, interview the game's brightest stars, and keep you up to date with the latest betting odds and much more leading up to the best Sunday of the year. I saw uh, DK up on there with our guy Ryan Wilson uh, sitting on the desk in front of the Bellagio, you know, just being able to, to really get a set for the game. Uh, those who are asking, Danny is out there, part of CBS Sports HQ's coverage. And so uh, be sure to check out live from Las Vegas all week long. And remember, the Super Bowl is on Sunday. Don't know if you knew that, but you can watch it on CBS, America's Most Watched Network, the Network of Stars. You can stream it on Paramount Plus, a mountain of entertainment. All right, so right now, Justin from the Cover 3 Tailgate says, let's talk about UCF's 2024 class. They're moving up fast. Second season as a power program and already top 35. They will probably crack the 20s next year. Sword emoji, shield emoji. This is basically what... you. I don't know about cracking the top 20s. I guess it's possible depending on how many guys they want to take. But UCF will always try to, I think, maintain that potential for bounce back uh, opportunities because they're in the state of Florida. That's the, the most key letter in UCF is the F, Florida, right? You got yeah. a lot of guys that sign with SEC schools or, you know, I would say power five schools, but UCF is a, a power five, although we have to come up with a with a new term for that. Do you, uh, I know, um, I think it was Staples that put out the core four. You like that for the uh, the new for the, name for the four the- remaining like major conferences? Yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know. Like our our friend um, or a, you know a passionate listener, I believe it's either Spence or Spencer suggested okay. something that I'm gonna. I don't know if you saw it as well, but he we were talking about the um, advisory board, and he called it the Super Two Advisory Board, which as an acronym is STAB. 
And when you consider what the power two represent as a threat to the order of college football as a whole, stab sure makes great sense. So I'm going to call the super two advisory board and the super two in general as uh, with the, the stab as, as what we're talking about for, uh, for those two, everyone else we'll figure it out. Core four works though. Okay. I like that. Um, UCF's doing a really good job overall. I think uh, they, because of the location, they do have an ability to get better talent, I think, than a lot of the teams in the Big 12 do. It's it's just it's why the job is attractive. You know, I think a lot of coaches think UCF is definitely one of the best jobs in the Big 12. They were by far the best team of the new teams to enter the Big 12. And I, I think they are doing a good job. There's actually a guy I, I think people should look at here. Um E.J. Colson, who was a 25 commit, who reclassed mm. to 24, he's a quarterback. I, I like what I've seen out of him. Dude's got got you know kind of a live arm, can run around pretty well. We've seen that combination work in Gus Malzahn's offense. I, and and reminder, K.J. Jefferson is going to be the quarterback for this team in the 2024 season. Correct. I mean, they how many transfer? They only took 18 out of high school. They had to have taken shoot. How many did they take? 15 transfers. Now they do lose a ton. If you look at Bill Connolly, who we'll have on the show maybe next week or the week after. Uh, he, yeah, he's it's actually about, in, in, it's about that time of time of year for us to have a, our check-in with Bill. He, he's uh, in Europe though. So we, we, we got to uh we, we gotta schedule that with the time difference, but um not permanently, just he's over there now. I think he, he's doing some soccer stuff. Like that's that's a winning combination. I don't I don't love UCF with pocket passers. I want guys who have a lot of mobility. Who the defense really has to account for, you know. When I look at, at Gus's offense over the t- like over the years, I see a, an offense that is not. Uh, I, I don't like I don't like the drop back stuff, independent of the quarterback running around. So, yes, quarterback run around. They also got a lot of dynamic playmakers at receiver, at running back. I, it's a lot of athleticism. It's a very Florida style build. So, yeah, I, I think they are doing a good job. All right. Thank you, Justin. Uh, this one comes from Hot Danger. Why doesn't Colorado recruit Colorado kids? Like out of high school? I would. My off the bat response is that even when Colorado was running at Colorado's peak, you were relying on California and Texas to be able to supply a good amount of your talent. Uh, because the state of Colorado out of high school does not put enough, does not have enough talent such that, like, for example, Ole Miss can't just rely on Mississippi, right? Yeah. Like Ole, Ole Miss has to go to the other states around it. And I think that Colorado would be the same situation where Colorado has to go other places if it wants to have the requisite talent level of its high school recruiting class. It cannot only be an in-state program. Look, I I think the question is trying to get me to say something that I don't want to say because I really don't – I'm not under any illusions that Deion Sanders plans to be there long-term. Okay? I, I don't think that what they do at the high school level is something that suggests that that is the case. Now, it is possible that he can just live every year taking 24 transfers this year, what, 50 or 60 last year. But it seems like they're trying to win now because his sons are there. 
you could rephrase this question differently, and I, I think it would actually be a better talking point. Why don't they recruit high school? Like it why? Sounds, why they, not? Why doesn't Colorado recruit Colorado kids? Why doesn't Colorado recruit scratch high school kids? They, they signed, yeah, they they, they signed Jordan, six high school players. Hey, but Jordan Seaton, right? They're going to need him to be really good immediately. Like it, he, there's a, a decent chance that he has to start and play well in a power conference as a true freshman tackle, which we've seen guys do, right? I mean, that Caden Proctor did that. We've seen guys before come in and do that. It is possible that he can come in and do that. They need that possibility to become a reality, I think, to keep Shador upright. So, yeah, I I don't know why. I've, I've never really considered why they don't recruit Colorado, but we could also ask, like, why don't they recruit California? Why don't they recruit – Um. Well, there's one from Texas. Why don't they recruit Florida? There's Jordan Seaton, but he's not really from the state of Florida. It's IMG. You know, he, he, he's from D.C. Why don't they recruit uh, Louisiana or Alabama or Arizona? Or you, you get my point? Like, there's so many states they don't recruit out of high school because they just don't do much high school. Mm, interesting. Um, I don't think like like does Dion do in-home visits? You ever read a story? You ever read a story about Dion doing an in-home visit? I haven't. I don't know, but that's Carl. Carl can probably tell us. I mean, maybe, maybe he does a couple. I, I don't know. Uh, but I think transfer recruiting is just different, and that it seems to be his preference. I guess there's no real reason why he couldn't just take 20-plus transfers every year. But I don't know. That, doesn't, that, that, that seems wildly variable to me if you're going to yeah. do that, I, I guess. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, 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 one hundred percent. I've I thought that that was one of the intrigues going into last season. Like, it not only is it like Dion the star power, but people just tuned in, just like, well, will this work? So, yeah, um, they went four and eight last year, and they, they won one conference game, just like they did the year prior. Um, Florida State won an ACC championship, thirteen and zero regular season. Um, with a group that was maybe like of its top 30 contributors, half are transfers, if not more. Yeah. yeah. Now, this is an interesting question too. Does it matter to you if they're like one-year players or if you're getting them young? Like Jordan, when you're Travis, saying, Jordan Travis was a transfer. He spent four years in the program. Right. You know what I'm saying? So there's a, there's a developmental aspect to that. How many players is Colorado getting who are sort of players you need to develop or is everybody they're they're taking as a transfer somebody who you need to play right away much like schools used to treat juco's a lot of at least the good schools would not take juco's unless they were guys you expected to play immediately like you didn't want to take developmental juco's Hmm. like how how does colorado plan to use the portal are they intent on developing out of the portal or do they want to get guys who are just ready-made clearly they have a window to win right now because Shador is a good player and I, I just put out my top quarterback list in, in no specific order you really can't make one without having him on there I don't anticipate Colorado to have the same level of quarterback play once Shador leaves it's possible but it's not something I would anticipate so clearly like you have to push the chips in now I don't really have a problem with what they're doing trying to win this year it does I, make me wonder what they're doing long term yeah um I don't know if Tin Horn Productions is a throwback to Nick Saban talking about what happened when they ran through his Alabama defense, like pooped through a tin horn. 
I don't know. But he's got a great question. Ten Horn Production says, Sun Belt teams have more four-star recruits slash transfers than ever before in the history of the conference. Is the Sun Belt jumping the rest of the G5 in recruiting? Yes, I think so. I, I think that another piece of this story is just that the Sun Belt membership has changed. Yeah. That, the, that the Sun Belt has added programs that care deeply about their college football, pro, like college football success, and they have investment in a lot of these communities. They might not be super close to airports, but they are rich with like people who care about these programs winning and will do what's necessary to be able to do that. They they are also close. They're almost all located in states where the high school participation is either not in decline or if it is in decline, not in decline anywhere close to what it is in some other states, like out west. Right. So just in general, is that a numbers game? Is that the answer? I think, I think it's largely your, your geography, right? And to your point, how these schools are in talent-rich states, but the, they've added more schools. Like the Sun Belt really emphasized geography, whereas Conference USA went more after major metro markets, some of which have uh, have good talent and some. Well, look, like Southern Miss is down bad right now, but Southern Miss went like they, there are people in Hattiesburg yeah. who really care about Southern Miss football. They have added Marshall. They have added James Madison. They have added programs to the Sun Belt that either have a tradition or, you know, have something to be able to hang their hat on um, to, you know, like Georgia State's new, South Alabama's new, like you – you are now taking these newer programs that were existing in the Sun Belt, and you're adding in um, other ones that have tons of tradition, some of it at the FCS level, like James Madison, App State, Georgia Southern, and others. But still, there is that tradition that I think contributes to just success in recruiting, success on the field, because we're seeing Sun Belt being like you're, you're talking about jumping the rest of the G5 in recruiting. I think that the Sun Belt is right, right there in the conversation as the best non core four. Shout out to Andy Staples. He's a big fan of the show. Like in the best non-core four conference. And I think that we're going to have that conversation, especially in the expanded playoff era, when we're trying to compare these other conference champions. Whoever comes out of the Sun Belt will be considered, I think. Oh, right there with if if Summerall can get Tulane to an American Athletic Conference championship, then your eyes got big. Do you think he could or could not? No, I'm I'm just trying to think. Like, is the Sun Belt going to be better than like the Mountain West? Potential. I think I I think that is in the conversation. I think if Boise State, James Madison, and Tulane are spit out and they've all got really good records, I think that is a that is a debate that we could be having into November if it's looking like that's going to be the way in terms of who ends up getting bids to the college football playoff. I I still think the top of the American is better. Like Memphis and Tulane to me are probably better. Memphis played Boise. That that game was like what two? I'm trying. I watched it. It, it was like two kickoff or sorry, two, two block field goals. I think or or, or two special. Are you teams. thinking of the UCF Boise game? The UCF Boise game this year was no, that that was like a rock fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, Me- Memphis Boise had like like two special team scores. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, they played this year. Yeah, it was it was 35 32 Memphis. I, I knew I knew it wasn't crazy. Maybe a little crazy, but. Um, Why Boise play Memphis and UCF? 
That's how you get your coach fired midseason. It's not fair. <laughs> Andy, Andy Avalos, you got you got hosed. Come on, dog. Look at that. Yeah, B- blocked field goal for a touchdown. Yep. Um. So, you you would say that that it's still an American Athletic Conference Mountain West conversation, but the Sun Belt certainly right there, and definitely more so than the QSA or the MAC. Yeah, the QSA and the MAC are are a pretty good step down, with the exception of Liberty. There's usually like one really really good team out, out of the QSA. It going forward, I would expect that to be Liberty. Um, but yeah. I mean, I the bottom of, of the American is, but like the bottom of the Sun Belt's bad as well. I mean, you, you're, you're talking about like Louisiana Monroe and some some teams like that, but I almost feel like the middle of the uh, of the Sun Belt is stronger than the middle of the American. I would agree with that. Georgia Southern was a wild team this year. Hot yeah. start, gave away a bunch of games at the end. Marshall was kind of an up and down team, very mercurial. As they say, I do think that's what you found in a lot of the middle pack there for the Sun Belt. Yeah. Um, all right, any other? We, we got a couple of team specific questions. We hit a couple, uh, you know, big picture storylines. Anything else from National Signing Day? Um, you know, that's that stands out to you that you think is really important for uh, the Cover Three Tailgate to know. Just the if you play college fantasy football, or if you're in one of these dynasty leagues where you draft guys years in advance for your NFL team, man, the receiver class this year is different. It really oh. is. Like, you're doing the rankings. You're like, man, this is a lot of receivers to have, a lot of receivers to have in, in, you know, in, in the five-star range, in, in, in the top 100 range. There's just a lot of really good receivers, man. I mean, Jeremiah Smith is, is just different. And Cam Coleman, the way he tracks the ball down the field is, is pretty special. And, People people put the, the Devontae Smith tag on Ryan Williams, but it's it's not ill fitting. He he does he is that light and quick and just the what what makes Devontae Smith so special is I mean he's he's certainly fast, but the stop start. Yeah, I because I mean it ain't it ain't uh what he looks like in a tracksuit. Right. Yeah. It, and it's it's a stop start that's not like a Tyreek stop start, because Tyreek is, is a Tyreek's a violent style runner. Whereas Devontae, it's almost like a, a gliding, and then you're like, oh, shoot, I'm so dead if I'm covering this guy. But, I mean, down the list, like Micah Hudson, I think probably plays immediately mm. for Texas Tech and and should be a good one. Like That's that's a player who a lot of big-time schools wanted. That's that's a big deal. You know, Mike Matthews for Tennessee. I got to see him a lot during Under Armour practice. Athletically, guys, he he's there. Now, Catching the ball consistently needs to work on it some, but I'm sure Tennessee will find ways to get the ball in his hands and we'll see if he can come down with it. TJ Moore out of Clemson. Clemson's, we talked about how their evals are, are very strong and that they have a high hit rate. So this is probably the best, uh, probably the best receiver class that we've had as prospects. Doesn't mean they'll be, uh, they'll turn out to be the best. Okay. There's a difference between prospect and result, but in terms of you know, measurable athleticism, size, production upside this really is a nice year for the receiver receiver uh, position excuse me nice we'll be keeping our eyes on that for sure coming up on the other side we need to uh we need to open up the bag reserved for the cover three legal fees we need to run up some billable hours hey i'm brett podolsky 
co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, um, I, my thought is that not only today and not only over the next several weeks, but really for a lot of the next several months, there are going to be times where we've got these complicated wordy and wonky situations that are significant because it's going to be about the future of college football. And that is something that we, as people who love the sport, are incredibly invested in and care about a lot. But it can be very confusing and difficult to care about all these little developments on the, along the way. So I'm, I'm proposing, if you're willing, that Bud Elliott, attorney no longer at law, how, how would you, how would you de- declare your attorney status? Um, are you active? Yeah. Okay, great. So active, active, active not practicing, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but <laughs> Elliot, in-house attorney for the Cover Three podcast. Um, Currently no caseload, but I, I did make you know. Got You got to send in your. You got to send in your fee. Your, your dues every year. You have to complete your CLEs. That that type of thing. Yeah, that's what I was like. You're you're at yeah. least keeping up keeping it up, so you're good to go. So why not? Like I don't want to take the bar again. it's fantastic point why would you put yourself through that hell one more time i you know what i would love to do is another training camp that sounds fantastic um all right so let's let's get into some billable hours let's run up these legal fees for our turn in-house attorney bud elliott so the associated the associated press uh had a report on tuesday night uh, it says a judge on Tuesday kept in place for now the NCAA's rules prohibiting name, image, and likeness compensation from being used as a recruiting inducement, denying a request from a temp- for a temporary restraining order by the states of Tennessee and Virginia. We remember the Tennessee and Virginia were suing the NCAA for their NIL practices, saying that they are um, you know that to deny them the opportunity to use it, inducement or not, um, was not. Uh, in the, I'm going to say spirit of competition, but I'm not quite sure here. So uh, I ask you in-house attorney, Bud Elliott, what that means. Sure. So Tennessee was asking for a TRO, temporary restraining order. They had to show a need that there was potentially immediate harm. They go to court again on the 13th. The judge did not think that there was like some immediate need to grant a, a temporary restraining order. They might get the preliminary injunction. I believe they come back to court on the 13th, which is 
you know, next uh, next Tuesday. So the judge is like, yeah, I don't really see the need for this right now. Like, there's no nobody who's in, in immediate uh, danger here to issue this. And Tennessee very well could win on the merits. So the NCAA's win against Tennessee could just last uh, potentially a week. Six days, yeah. Right. So uh, that's basically all it means. It, it To me, it is not predictive or commentary on the NCAA's case. And in fact, the judge said that Tennessee uh, very well could pre- prevail on the merit. So we will we will see if they do. If they do, then um, recruit NIL is allowed to be used as an inducement, which I guess people think is bad. But like, wh- how do we think, Chip? How did you get recruited to CBS? You know, how did you how did I get recruited to twenty four seven sports? Like, how how did these how did Josh Heupel get recruited to Tennessee? I mean, I. I guess they missed on like their, all their top candidates, and they're like, "All right, well, I've done a decent job at UCF. Let's let's bring him." But they're, yeah, you you recruit people by using money and opportunity, and location and everything else, hours, job requirements, advancement opportunities, those type of things. So, uh, yeah, the the wouldn't you want to? And I I. I believe I might be subconsciously pulling from one of the original filings from the state of Tennessee and the state of Virginia, but wouldn't you want to, if you were trying to choose, you know, where you're going to go, where are you going to spend your time, your effort, your energies? Wouldn't you want to know all of the opportunities that are involved in there? Like you mentioned the, how did you get recruited? Like when you are entertaining a job, like, wouldn't you want to know what the full compensation package and the perks and everything else are? And so like, an inducement can be as explicit as we are going to give you regular payments of this much money every month for you to be able to come here. Or technically an inducement could be, hey, you see what we've got going on. And if you come here, you can have a piece of that too. Like what was the, remember the video of the Texas A&M prospects out at uh, Kyle right. Field and they get walked on there and these, I forgot which assistant is, but he points up to the luxury boxes and he's like, hey, all those guys up there, like you you can have some of that too. And, you know, that was, you know, oh, it was a, oh no, the sky is falling. But, you know, I, I, th- I think that is just sensible when it comes to, um, these athletes being able to make decisions that involve, among other things, the opportunity for them to benefit uh, on on their talents. Yeah, and, and Tennessee's claiming a couple things here, one of which is that by preventing you from reviewing your options before you sign with the school, you're, you're engaging in like collusive anti-competitive behavior. Yeah, right? because that's uh, this is where we get to the Sherman Antitrust Act. Yeah, correct, which everybody employer not is entitled to protections from so that's why if you think tennessee wins you feel decent about it now we'll we'll see i mean the ncaa is a voluntary organization now can you volunteer to collectively collude to essentially price fix a market that you deny exists i guess we'll see long term almost certainly not uh but short term anything i guess could and uh, maybe will Happened there, but yeah, like that. Tom Mars, the one of the attorneys uh, who's involved in this for Tennessee, uh, who's done a lot of, of of work in the collegiate space, he tweeted a video of uh, the NCAA president Charlie Baker on Meet the Press, basically saying, "Yeah, there really are no NIL rules right now." He's like, "Yeah, <laughs> that's that seems kind of official when the president of the organization 
goes on a national show and says that. Well, technically, I mean, there's no bylaws. They're just yeah. guidelines. Gracious. All right. Um, one last piece for our in-house attorney, uh, Bud Elliott Esquire, for billable hours. What, uh, and this is, again, what does the Dartmouth basketball team, NLRB, which is National Labor Relations Board, the ruling says that the Dartmouth basketball team are employees of the school and now they can create their own union and begin to negotiate and collectively bargain the, the terms of their employment. I, I know there are some levels to this we need to get out of the way, but I'm going to let you with your expertise uh, present it as such. So what what is the significance here, especially as it pertains to the future of high-level college football? Potentially nothing. That's but, right. But potentially something, right? So we actually had a similar ruling with Northwestern about a decade ago. Uh, this is a regional board or kind of regional division of the NLRB, the one up in Boston. That's kind of not something that could hold, but it could. We, we will see more what the national NLRB decides. Like, do they approve the decision of this sort of regional? you know, subboard, it, it needs to be stamped. And in the case of Northwestern, it was not. Now, there were a couple of reasons they gave. One of the primary ones was that Northwestern was a private school operating in a conference with, at the time, what, I think 13 other 13. public schools. Right. So they thought it, it was a little bit strange uh, to impose that. But we also have the NLRB against uh, USC right now, which is going on, where USC sort of hilariously was like, yeah, we really have no rules or requirements for our basketball players, you know, type thing. And they're like, eh, I don't know about that. Like, really? You guys have no, no defined. All of this is all this is volunteer. volunteer. Okay. All, yeah. all these people, this is just, you know, player organized. We are a player led program and they just get together for all their practices and their workouts. Exactly. Right. So yeah. Um, ultimately I think it's, I, I'm just going to wait to see what the national board says. Now, if they stamp it that that Dartmouth, that their players are, in fact, employees, that will have some ramifications because what it says is that whether a business is profitable or not, because I'm guessing Dartmouth basketball probably is not very, very profitable. That's not the key determining factor that they're using. It's the requirements of the people doing the labor. So whether you suck at running a business, you still have employees or people who as of yet are not officially employees, but you're requiring them to do acts that resemble what employees have to do. Uh, you know, that's fairly notable because that suggests that maybe other sports, which definitely don't make money, all women's sports essentially, and almost all college baseball and everything below college baseball in terms of revenue, uh, which is the vast majority of men's sports other than football and, and you know, major college basketball, are those folks employees too? Because I think eventually, Chip, what we're going to get to here is a model where you kind of have a choice. Like, hey, we're we're running like a compensated level here, and we're we're really we're, we're operating as, as a business, and then probably a lesser one where it's like, okay, scholarships, much more club feel, and it's important to note these colleges run athletic programs as a very important, not not the major ones, but a lot of these colleges run athletic athletic programs, man, as, as loss leaders, 
right? Because that gets people to go to their school. It helps right. with their en enrollment numbers. So, like a lot of times, it's a mark. It's part of your marketing budget. Yeah. 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 So. Well, my, so the thing that always stood out to me as soon as this became like a story before the ruling came down, as I said, well, Dartmouth doesn't have athletic scholarships and the like biggest, you know, fork in the road in, in the entire idea of em employment or compensating athletes is this argument between, um, you know, two college sports fans and one says the players should be paid and the other one says they are paid with a scholarship and like, that is the debate that has been going on long before we even got to this place that we are right here. So for Dartmouth, I was almost more willing to put it to the side because I'm like, well, they, without the athletic scholarships, it, which is the case for all the Ivy Leagues, it's just not the same. It's not the same on a lot of levels, but that's where I'm more curious to see what happens and if this does end up having ramifications because you know, even for the most you can call it naive, you can call it the purest, you can call it head in the sand. Even those approaches to college sports are still saying, you know, they are being compensated with their scholarship and the and the cost of attendance and everything else that is going into the current from university to athlete financial compensation package. That is not the case at Dartmouth and other Ivy Leagues. So also Dartmouth ain't the best Ivy League basketball program. I, I mean, I I wasn't gonna ask. Yeah, you they're not good at all. Expertise, but that's. <laughs> I, I I looked in Ken Palm. I was like, oh, they suck. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I was uh, you know, my friend Luke DeCock is a pin grad, and he was cracking jokes. He was like, oh, it's nice to see Dartmouth basketball win something from time to time. I mean, <laughs> so we'll see. You know, we'll we'll see what happens here. But again, um, we appreciate you, Bud Elliott Esquire, for jumping in and uh, and offering your expertise. Because again. There are going to be a lot of stories like this where there will be tiny little updates and we're we're not going to lead off the every single show with it because we are leading to a, a future that none of us really know but at least we've got the expertise uh, here to be able to let you know as as friends and family of the Cover 3 podcast what it means and and what the big takeaway is so uh so bud we appreciate you helping us out with that. We actually will probably do a little bit less in terms of duration of these segments uh, probably can't avoid the frequency because these things pop up all the time but uh very soon i think we'll have some cool stuff on the channel that you can refer back to if you need to get caught up on this stuff so we don't have to kind of run over what this is every single time and just give the update yep because like it's necessary if you care about the sport you kind of want to know like not even really what happened it's like okay what when is this going to impact my team what will it mean for my team and right now, nothing. Right. But it could be. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This might be a nothing. This could be a something. And sometimes that'll be the answer. But uh, we're we're looking forward, uh, and we're trying to figure it out what it's going to be as much as you are. So uh, we'll 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 power on through together tomorrow, eleven a.m. Eastern time. The Cover Three podcast gets interactive as we always do around this time of year on Thursdays. We will open up the big old bag of mail. If you want to get a question in to either tomorrow's or a future mailbag mailbag episode, leave a five-star review in that review. Put your question or come hang out with us live. YouTube.com slash cover three. The early birds drop those questions. We always like to lead off the show with a couple of those. We'll be talking with the tailgate all throughout. And so come and hang out for our big old bag of mail on Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time featuring as well Cover 3 Super Bowl preview. Because daggone it, we like football too.
And you can follow him on Twitter at BudElliot3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Bud, thank you very much. See you, bud. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.